So our guest speaker today um, <clears throat> um, is uh, our conference uh, ministerial director, which means he's my pastor. Um, every week, uh, Jim produces this um, email um, newsletter and sends it out to all of us pastors as a source of encouragement and also guidance for stuff that are happening in and around the conference. And uh, one week, I saw this fantastic uh, thing uh, that he sent, and I said, can you come over and, um, and preach that sermon for a sermon of that to topic for us here at Auburn? And, and so he's here today. Um, <clears throat> Jim, I've known Jim for, for as long as I've been in this conference, and we really have you know, more than, well, one thing in common. We're both pastors, of course. We, are, we both have the same terminal degree from the same institution. Um, but uh, here's another thing that I just found out uh, through him, well, some time ago, um, is that we both precede um, Pastor Dan Appel in a church. So uh, we have that uh, in common. Uh, uh, Pastor Jim, I'm sure God has a message uh, from him through you to us today, and we are eager to listen uh, to that message it is good to be at Auburn with all of you today, and I do hope you appreciate my sacrifice on behalf of this church. Uh, what I do need to do is back up to tell you the story, and, and that is um, a number of years ago, I had some friends, and I actually started ministry about the time that the was called at that time the Rockland Church, now it's Grace Point, had started, and these friends were in on the ground floor helping plant that church. They moved to Southern California, and then we'd stayed in contact and, you know, friendships, see each other when we could, and they would tell me, we're looking for a church. We're looking. It's been hard to find a church. We really connect with the pastor and everything else, and they finally found that church. And then a few years later, wasn't that much later, that I got a phone call and I got my ears lit on fire because... Auburn was taking their pastor, and they were blaming me. So I hope you're taking care of your pastor, because I paid for you guys to get your pastor. So take good care of him and Julie. So, uh, Mel, you're doing a good job, and we do appreciate your ministry here. So, and I, I just got to say this. Um, uh, as a pastor to the pastors, one of the things that I see on a weekly basis is the stress, the challenges that pastors are experiencing. Um, I'm not joking when I say this, is for a lot of pastors, going to church is a Maalox moment. Uh, when they don't know what they're gonna get in our present climate. Um, who's gonna be upset about something? And, and so I'm just encouraging you, take care of your pastor, make sure he doesn't have to take Tums or Maalox or whatever else he's, you know, to handle stress. Uh, and take extra care. It's been a very challenging year because a lot of the tools that pastors use have been used. And now the churches are opening again, that's fantastic. But a lot of the tools that pastors have been using were not available to us this last year. Um, and so pastors had to learn new things. And, you know, you've got cameras. You've, we're kind of a split service right now. And so that is just one of those new realities, the new normal. And we're still trying to figure out what that new normal looks like. And so take good care of your pastor um, and his family during this time. 
I do need to take you back uh, 22 years ago today, May 8, 1999, I was getting ready for church, and uh, I was dressed, I remember exactly where I was sitting, I was sitting in our apartment, uh, had my Bible, had some, I was working on some stuff, last minute things before going to church, and my wife comes out and says, my water just broke. So, today, the next day was Mother's Day. I had purchased for my wife a mother-to-be card. I had to go out and get a new card uh, because my son came later that day, 22 years ago today. And so, May 8, Mother's Day weekend is always kind of special in our family. And so, again, happy Mother's Day to all of you. And my wife, some of you may know my wife by name, or at least if you get the Pacific Union Recorder, Everything from Northern California Conference comes across her desk. She is the conference editor and, um, and writer for Northern Lights and Seeking Recorder um, stuff. So that's where you may see her name, Julie Lorenz. I want to take you, though, to April 19, 1995, when MacArthur Wheeler walked into two Pittsburgh banks as you can see with the surveillance picture behind me, without a mask, no disguise, and robbed two banks. It did not take the police that long to find him. In fact, at one point, he'd even smile at the camera as he walked out. So they picked him up that evening, and he's mystified. Mystified. I, he keeps saying, how? I wore the lemon juice. And the police are like, what? I wore the lemon juice. Well, it turns out that MacArthur Wheeler had read somewhere about invisible ink. You know, you can use lemon juice as invisible ink. And so he got to thinking that if he put the lemon juice on his face, his face would be invisible to cameras. <laughs> and so that's why he walked into two banks and robbed them, thinking he was invisible. Now this caught the attention of two researchers, David Dunning and Justin Kruger. Because you're going, how in the sand hills can somebody think that they can just put lemon juice on themselves and walk into a bank and think they're invisible? And so these two researchers coined the phrase Dunning-Kruger effect. And MacArthur Wheeler came, became the poster child for their effect. Uh, and the Dunning-Kruger effect is this. People with little expertise or ability, but who assume they have superior expertise and ability. Now, before you say, but wait, that sounds like every single young man I've ever known. Well, you'd be right. Um, I remember, unfortunately, in college, when I got a ticket from the CHP, just before I'd gotten that ticket, I'd uttered these two words to my college buddy, watch this. Yeah, Dunning-Kruger. Assuming that we have superior expertise and ability when we do not. Unfortunately, Dunning-Kruger can also have tragic consequences as well. 
1996, Ethiopian Flight 961. Three young Ethiopian men hijacked Ethiopian Airlines flight, demanding, they had taken off from Nairobi, demanding to be flown from Nairobi to Australia. You see, they'd gotten their hands on the Ethiopian Airlines flight in-flight magazine and had read in there about this brand new Boeing 767 that Ethiopian Airlines had and that it had the range to fly from Africa to Australia. Well, it's true, it did have that range. If it was fueled for that range, which it was not. But there is no telling these three young men that it couldn't do it. The pilot tried. The pilot even got air traffic control on the radio to try and talk sense into these three young men. And the, the air traffic controller said, we advise you to land at a nearby airport, refuel, because you do not, cannot make that range. Maybe some of you have seen the picture of the plane crashing off of resort. Out of the 175 people on board, 125 died, including the three hijackers. Dunning-Kruger effect. But it only takes us three chapters into the Bible before we see the Dunning-Kruger effect pop up in the Bible. Believing they have superior knowledge and expertise when they do not. In fact, Genesis 3, when the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you, get, you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I mean, the ultimate Dunning-Kruger effect is thinking you are like God. And Eve bit it. The tragic thing is, Adam was not under the Dunning-Kruger effect and still went along. The Proverbs has a lot to say about Dunning-Kruger. We could spend the rest of our time just going through the different Proverbs that are Dunning-Kruger related. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 12.15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. This is one of the hallmarks of somebody under the effect of Dunning-Kruger is you cannot tell them they're wrong. Because they're right. They, after all, are the ones with the superior knowledge and expertise. I mean, after all, have you ever argued with someone on Facebook and after you had posted, you know, a very logical response to what they had posted, they suddenly said, you know, you're right. Never. It never happens. But here's the sobering thing. All of us, all of us, from time to time, end up in the Dunning-Kruger clubhouse. The only challenge is that some of us actually end up staying there. But all of us at one time or another have been in the Dunning-Kruger clubhouse. Here's some interesting things. 25% of high school students and this was a huge survey. It's like 100,000 student, students they surveyed. But 25% of them 
thought they were in the top 1% in their ability to get along with others. We could blame them for not understanding statistics and how statistics work. But the next one, there is no excuse. For 94% of college professors report doing above average work. 80% of drivers think they're in the top third of all drivers and driving here this morning, I can tell you that's not true. And this one hits rather close to home. 85% of preachers think they are above average. And then people believe they are at lower risk than peers for heart attacks, COVID, cancer, and even food-related illnesses. I can eat that. Yeah. Dunning-Kruger Clubhouse. And all of us, at one time or another, have been there. But then when you apply Dunning-Kruger to faith, it is even more sobering. One person said, when faith becomes more about certainty and less about asking questions and wrestling through the journey of life, you've closed yourself off from learning and growing. Furthermore, if you're not learning and growing, you're being led around by others, whether you want to admit it or not. Growing and being open. It's that fundamentalist certainty that starts becoming very, very dangerous. Jesus warned about the Dunning-Kruger effect in, in John chapter 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They're religiously confident, confident enough to kill you, but deceived. Dunning-Kruger. Jesus is describing this religious zealotry, religious fundamentalism, that they don't need you asking questions of them because they know the answer. They have it all settled. They know exactly what they're doing. They are the ones with the inside knowledge of God's will. You're the one who just doesn't know. We look around the world and we see fundamentalists, fundamentalist Muslims, fundamentalist Christians attacking each other. The Middle Ages, fundamentalism in different ways, but Dunning-Kruger nonetheless. When people would do horrible things to each other in the name of God because they knew and the other people didn't. Revelation 13 talks about Dunning-Kruger and prophecy. Because a science that was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. Note that these people are religiously confident, but it's not based on the Bible. Religiously confident, but deceived. Now, now, Maybe you haven't looked at Revelation 13 in a while. Let me just give you the cliff note version of Revelation 13. Avenists throughout history have said that the lamb-like beast in Revelation 13 represents America. Starts out fantastic. And then gradually, little by little, starts speaking as a dragon. Oh, we, we also know this from the book, The Great Controversy, too, and I encourage everyone to read the book, The Great Controversy. Uh, but people, B. 
being deceived by overconfidence in their religious knowledge. I, I, I wouldn't say biblical knowledge, but they're not usually basing it on the Bible even. It's a religious knowledge. And, and here's the problem that we have these days. I don't care where you look. You can go almost to any survey, and you're going to find that biblical knowledge is declining in our society. It's declining in our churches. But religious confidence isn't declining. That is a really dangerous combo. Biblical knowledge goes down, but religious confidence goes up. Can you see that danger there? That leads to a Dunning-Kruger situation. That people have superior knowledge and expertise, at least they believe they do, when it's not based upon the Bible. I could, I'm sure your pastor would agree with me. I can't assume that when I mention the names Peter and Paul in church that people know exactly who I'm talking about anymore. That our biblical knowledge, our, our cultural knowledge has so gone down that they may not recognize them as being apostles, founders of the early Christian church. And that's even in our churches that I can't always assume that. We are in a different world. We're religiously certain, but thanks to Dunning-Kruger, not terribly biblically literate. And the problem is, we, if, where's that religious confidence coming from? And it's coming from people are taking their basis of confidence and putting it into other things other than the Bible. And a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with our conference president, Dr. Mark Woodson. And we were lamenting what we've been seeing in our churches about the politics that's been racking our churches. I, I, I could tell you, I could spend the rest of this time just giving you horror stories. I mean, in the, I'll just tell you this one, a church not far from here. A guest, a guest, shows up in church wearing a mask, and one of our dear members decides to go after him. Is that what the gospel's about? And, and as Dr. Woodson and I are, are lamenting, how do you do evangelism in this type of environment where, where people are taking their cues from Fox News and CNN? I watch them both. I, I, I watch both of them. But I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't filter my Bible through them. I filter them through my Bible. And we, as a church, have to get back to that. Because I can't tell you, when I get calls, when I talk to pastors on a weekly basis, I'm hearing talking points that didn't come from here that are being delivered in churches. 
we have to be Christian first before we are a Republican or a Democrat. And that is the most important thing. And I'm not here to pick sides. Well, yes, I am. I'm here to pick God's side. And to say, those others are fine, but we are called to be Christian first. And those other sides, it depends on which, you know, uh, I'll, what the issue is. But today, I want to make sure that this is our basis of faith. Because otherwise, you and I are being set up for Dunning-Kruger effect. Being religiously confident, having superior knowledge, at least we think we do, and expertise, when we don't. And this is where that strength and knowledge comes from. Adventists have historically been very strong on the Bible. We call ourselves people of the word, of the book. But you start kicking the book out, and we're in trouble. And right now, that is happening out there. And we are just as susceptible to the mark of the beast as any other group. Let me just put that, say that one more time. Because this is another Dunning-Kruger thing that the Adventist church has had that we think this doesn't apply to us because we're the ones with the superior knowledge. You and I are just as susceptible to the mark of the beast as any other group out there. And if you think differently, hello Dunning-Kruger. I want to share with you what's been a troubling thing that's been popping up in Christian churches and even Adventist churches. Patriotism. It's a great thing. I love this nation. I have a flag painted on my curb where my street number is. And when it comes 4th of July, flag day, I have a Betsy Ross flag. I like my Betsy Ross flag. Bought it 20 years ago or more. Comes out at those times. I'm a patriot. But I'm not a nationalist. And there's a huge difference between the two. See, nationalism says, I don't care what power I have to exert in order to get my way, and I really don't care about you. That's nationalism. And it's dangerous. And it's starting to pop up in sentiment within not just Christian churches. It's already in Christian churches. But it's coming into Adventist churches as well. Christianity Today ran a, que a question and answer piece. And I'm only giving you two of the question and answers. But one of the questions it had was, is that really a problem or just an abstract worry talking about Christian nationalism? And it says, it's a serious problem. How is this dangerous for America? Christian nationalism tends to treat other Americans as second-class citizens. If it were fully implemented, it would not respect the full religious liberty of all Americans. As a church, we have been saying this almost since our inception. That's the incredible thing. I mean, the mind-blowing thing for me 
you go back 30 years, and this is in any evangelistic crusade that we ran. When we start talking about end of time, when we say, we start talking about great controversy, we start talking about American prophecy. And yet, it's becoming a problem even in our church. And why is that? Because we have substituted something else for the Bible. Can we talk as a church family? I'm horrified. I'm horrified by what I see, not just in America, but in our churches. Because we know better. It's fine to be patriotic. It's a whole other thing to be a nationalist. Because we know where that leads in prophecy. Historically, Adventists have kept politics at arm's distance. We've gotten involved in different issues, but we have not supported a politician. We basically said, we know where this type of thing goes. We have to be very, very careful. There have been issues, you can call them political, that our church has been involved in. Our ver very first general conference president, John Byington, ran a station on the Underground Railroad. And if you don't think that was controversial or political at that time, ask Abraham Lincoln. You know, because basically as soon as he became president, the South said, okay, you're an abolitionist, we're out of here. John Byington being running a station on the Underground Railroad, well, it was a <laughs> Civil War, very hot issue. We haven't been involved in issues, and that's fine. We need to speak out to the times. But we also need to be extremely, extremely careful on what we, what we step into. And as a, as a church, we need to come back to our roots. I think it's very sobering that the Adventist Review ran an article called Jesus 2020, nation building for God about Christian nationalism coming into the church. About the same time, the Southern Union Department of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty ran an article called God's Remnant Church and the Danger of Christian Nationalism, a call for unity around Seventh-day Adventist prophetic identity. I'm going to introduce a, a concept to you. It's biblical, but it's one my, my teacher in seminary introduced. It's called the don't put beans up your nose principle. You never tell a child to put beans, don't put beans up your nose. Don't put thoughts in their heads they've never thought of, okay? Right? If it's in the Bible and saying don't do this, it's because people back then were doing it. All right? The fact that the Adventist Review that, and just two weeks ago, the North American Division, the, the leader of Adventism for North America, ran a seminar on nationalism. It's in our churches now, too. 
If they're having to print this stuff, that means it's out there and it's in here. We have to be careful. Be true to who we are as a church. To what we know. See, Revelation 13 tells us what nationalism is going to look like in prophecy. But if you want to look at it in the past, then go to World War II Germany. And you can see what Christian nationalism looks like. Neus Volk. Neus Volk, I need to introduce this pamphlet to you. It was the Nazi pamphlet on racial hygiene or purity. And you can see what it was about. You know, bad Jews, um, how we need to exterminate them, stuff like that. Here's the crazy thing. The Adventist Church ran a printing press in Germany. It was the longest-lived Christian press during World War II in Germany. But that came at a huge cost because we agreed with the Nazi party to print 10,000 copies of News Vogue a month and then to distribute them through our Call Porter network. So we often talk about the Catholic Church and how they, their concordat that they had with the Nazi party. We don't usually talk about the Adventist Church printing News Vogue and then distributing it through our Call Porter network. Hulda Yost. All right. Well, I can, I can tell you, you can't see the back screen, so, but the Hulda Yost, I need to introduce you. She was the community service director for German Adventist Church, and she ran an extraordinary community service. Maybe it was never, ever a community service director like her. Amazing. What's interesting about her, though, is she was extremely connected, including with the Nazi party. And she would tell uh, the Gestapo in defending the church that, that Adventist workers did their very best to carry national socialist ideas, that's the Nazi parties, into the most distant villages. This should be sending shivers down our spines. It wasn't until 2005, and maybe some of you saw it, but it didn't get a lot of press. It just kind of went under the radar. But the Adventist News Network printed an apology from the German and Austrian Adventist churches that said, in essence, this. It said, the German Seventh-day Adventist Church um, apologized for any support of or role in Nazi activities during World War II. In their declaration, the church bodies honestly confessed to a failure in following our Lord by not protecting Jews and others during the Holocaust, reported the Adventist News Network. Here's the problem. You've got to ask yourself, 2005? 2005? Why are they publishing a, an apology 2005? That's 60 years after all that other. Why is that? Dunning-Kruger. You had to have a generation die off before the church could come to reckon 
with what its past was. Because the individuals that lived through that were not going to apologize. And I could spend the rest of my time here telling you things that would send further send shivers up your spine about things that were written that came off of Adventist presses. About how if there was somebody we found of Jewish descent in our churches, we disfellowshipped them. This is what Christian nationalism looks like. And those people are like us. We can't just say, oh, <laughs> Germans are kind of strange. Uh, I have a German background. My wife will say that regularly. Um, she will say Germans are kind of strange, but that's usually when she's frustrated with something I've done. But at the same time, we have to admit, Dunning-Kruger is something we have to be very much aware of in our own lives and what's going on in our churches right now, especially in light of biblical prophecy. Because if I mention the name Hitler, Hitler. I mean, if I call somebody a Hitler, those are fighting words, right? I mean, I mention the name Hitler, and you're going to say, one of the all-time worst individuals ever, right? And yet this came off of one of our magazines. The Christian rejoices in the fact that his country is in the hands of a man who has his office from the hand of God, who knows himself responsible to him as anti-alcoholic, non-smoker, and vegetarian. He is closer, talk about Hitler, is closer to our view of health reform than anybody else. We set the bar pretty low for what it meant to be Adventist. Our German brothers and sisters were so blinded by Christian nationalism that they were baptizing Hitler. People like you and I. If it's happened before, it can happen again. In fact, the Bible tells us it's going to happen again. And here we are, 2021, with many of our brothers and sisters failing to learn from their past. Ignoring what the Bible's telling us, ignoring that we have this great gift and a great controversy, and if you haven't read it recently, I highly encourage you to read it again. Ignoring the advice we have, ignoring the information we have. Before the last few minutes, I want to talk about how to avoid the Dunning-Kruger effect. We've talked about its, its liabilities, its hazards, but how do we actually avoid the Dunning-Kruger effect in our own lives? Thomas Jefferson said this. He says, the wise know their weakness too well to assume infallibility. And he who knows most knows best how little he knows. Jefferson's talking about an awareness, a humility. I want to come back to our passage this morning, 
And if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, if you have your electronic Bible with you, Zechariah 4, 6, it's almost at the end of the Old Testament, you have to have this passage underlined in your Bible, Zechariah 4, 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. See, Dunning-Kruger would say, it's going to be by my own strength because I know better. It's by my strength, it's by my might, it's by my intelligence, it's by my capabilities, by my skill. And this is where I come back to it. All of us have at one time or another been in the Dunning-Kruger clubhouse. And I hate to admit this in front of you, but this, pas this passage right here shows me up that I end up in the Dunning-Kruger Clubhouse way more than I wish I would. Because there are too many times that Jim Lorenz starts saying, you know what, I'm pretty good at this thing. And suddenly by my might and by my power, rather than the Holy Spirit's. And this has to be our rule of faith. Maybe one of the most countercultural passages in the whole Bible right now, countercultural to where our society is right now, is Jeremiah 17 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, right now, our culture is saying, just follow your heart. I cannot tell you how many horrible things I hear other Christians doing right now because they're following their heart. They're, they're, they're taking the Dunning-Kruger approach, ignoring this, because they are certain that if they follow their heart, their heart is going to lead them right. And you hear it all the time. You can go on blogs, you can go on different radio things, especially right now podcasts, and you hear Christians saying the craziest things following their heart. And you and I are called to be countercultural. Realizing it's not by might, nor by power, but by God's spirit. Not by my heart. Because my heart is going to lead me astray if I just follow my heart's desires. Jesus told us in John 16, the same chapter that I read you, where he says, they will think that if they kill you, they're doing God's will. A few verses later in verse 13, he says this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The spirit has to guide our ever so fallible hearts. The spirit has to challenge us out of the Dunning-Kruger clubhouse and say it's not about you, it's about being led by the spirit. You see, Discipleship is the opposite of Dunning-Kruger. See, discipleship, you have to be open to others, open to input, open to somebody saying, Jim, I noticed you doing this. Is that really what you want to be doing in light of this other thing? And by the way, when you ask questions, rather than telling somebody that they're just totally an idiot, sometimes the best thing you can do is ask a question and then let them process it. See, 
humility recognizes I don't have it all. I don't know it all. I'm not all powerful and knowledgeable. And I want to refresh your, your memory on the Beatitudes as well because the Beatitudes don't start like this. Blessed are the people who know it all. Blessed are the people who control everything. Blessed are the people who follow their hearts. Brother lines like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. When I think of the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger effect in the Christian life, two individuals come to mind. Walter and Maria. Now you need to know something about Walter and Maria. They're two of the kindest people you're ever going to meet. Uh, Maria takes care of, usually does personal home care, taking care usually of senior citizens, elderly people who need help. And she's in demand. I mean, if I need somebody to have looked after one of my grandparents, she would have been it. Uh, she's fantastic, and she's in demand. The woman's never out of work. Uh, always going an extra mile. Walter, her husband, has been my old church's janitor for years, and this is one of those guys that is Mr. Extra Mile, always doing extra. And I, I'm amazed at him. Uh, I'll give you for, one for instance. My, my old church, we, would be, we were a polling place, and you got to open up the, the church by 6 so the poll workers can get in, get all set up and everything else. And I remember thinking, he's a janitor. It's not fair for what we're paying him to get up at six and drive her to the church, although he lives just around the corner. But it's, it's just not fair. And so I said, I'll do it. And I did it once. And he's going, pastor, pastor. No, 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 no. Let me do this. Let me do this. That's just who Walter is. But I haven't told you the whole story. You see, Walter and Maria, these two wonderful people, are from Bolivia. And it took them a number of years to finally uh, resolve their immigration status. But by the time it finally got everything resolved and fixed, I think Walter probably felt by that time time had kind of passed him by. See, Walter was trained as a pharmacist back in Bolivia. But to get licensed and everything else in the States, working on immigration stuff, it took him a number of years to get that finally settled. I don't think Walter will probably ever practice pharmacy in America. But you never hear that from Walter. You see, you could easily make a case, and you and I probably know people who think that they're owed more than they're getting, and they're angry. They're angry at the world for not giving them what they believe is owed to them. And, and, and they're just mad, permanently angry at everybody and everything around them. And you could make a case that it hasn't been fair to Walter and Maria. I mean, they were trained, educated, and, and now they're... Well, he's not working at the same education level as church janitor as he would be if he's a pharmacist. You don't hear him in, in his church saying, hey, I know this. 
And when I talk to my Spanish colleagues, Spanish pastor friends, they will tell me one of the big challenges they often have in our Spanish churches is a lot of over-educated individuals working beneath their education level and then trying to wrestle control in the church that they're not having in their personal lives. And that creates havoc in our churches. And we can understand where it comes from. We get it. And yet, that's not Walter Maria. You almost have to pull out of them. So what were you trained as? Because they're not going to talk about it. Because they are living by a different ethic. They're not trying to tell you how much they know. They're not trying to convince you, I know more than you. I'm better than you. I need to be in charge. They're living by a different ethic. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. May you walk and live and be guided by the Spirit into all truth. I want to leave you with a blessing that Moses gave Aaron to bless the people with. And it's this. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious towards you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen.